Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Ricky. And this is the Season 3, Episode 9 episode of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. It should come out on uh, June 1st, 2020. And we got some stuff that's a little bit of a departure where we're going to talk about, uh, you know, beer, of course. But we're also going to talk about, like, Playstations and Xboxes and Nintendo Switches and board games and all that stuff that has to do with gaming while you're also supposed to be staying away from people. <laughs> so, um, but first, let's talk about the Raleigh Brewing Royal Black Lager. Uh, it is 4.3% ABV. It's a North Carolina beer, so you know we love to talk about those. It says, get the royal treatment, a Raleigh landmark and our neighbor, the former Royal Baking Company building, was one of the early post-Great Depression industrial plants built in the area. This beer, however, is anything but industrial. Royal may look heavy and bitter, but it is quite light and drinkable. It's a Munich German Pilsner chocolate carafa special um, and black malts were all made to be able to make this um, beer. They also balanced it with German Magnum and Crystal Hops uh, in order to give it a little bit of bitterness. Um, so I don't see an IBU rating on it, um, but yeah. well, there you go. I have tasted it, and it is probably fairly low. I would guess low 20s, maybe high teens. Uh. Um, there's just a little bit of hoppiness, not much. It is fairly smooth. I mean, it's pretty light. You know, a lot of lagers can be like a little bit heavy because they've got just so much malt in them. Not yeah. this one. I mean, it's a little bit light. There's definitely some like chocolate there, maybe a little bit of like almost like chocolate malt. Like mm-hmm. if you like not just chocolate and not just like the malt from in there. It's almost like that kind of malted chocolate sort of feel. Um, and then maybe coffee. It 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 definitely got like that roastiness to it it's hard to say if it's like an actual coffee addition from something or it's just the pure roasting the malt but a little bit of caramel like um like the butteriness of a caramel um i definitely get the like kind of maltiness um that there's a there's a um a kind of dark chocolate and coffee flavor in there that's kind of mixed together which those generally do blend together for me I get a little bit of the hops, um, but I like this. Um, it's, I mean, very sippable. It's a nice beer, I think. Oh, yeah, it's good. I think the only critique I'd have of it is since it has a lot less malt than your kind of average lager, it's a little bit acidic. You know, once you, you sw- you know, after you drank it and it sits on your tongue, there is just a little bit of that, like, acidic sort of... Eric flavor to it. And it's not necessarily bad, but you, I'm used to finishing with something a little bit more smooth. As dark as it is, it's not very heavy either. It's when not. I think it, of is, something, it is really light. Yeah, when I think of something that's heavy, um, and I think of like especially darker beers, that are normally what I think of as heavy. It's not heavy at all. So that I, I think this thing's pretty great. Um, it's I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite beer, but uh, it's another one of those that I'd gladly drink all of the ones that I bought. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's a good one. Uh, if you like 
lagers and you like beers that are not very alcoholic, so they're like in that uh, four to six ABV range are generally on the lower side of that, and you like beers that are a little bit more um, complex in flavor because they are. Uh, this one's got some good things for you. So if you're one, of, if you're a person that likes that stuff, but if you like really hoppy beer, this beer is probably not for you. Yeah, there's there's a little bit, but there's there's not enough to satisfy somebody who like really likes that sort of flavor in like an IPA or something. Exactly. So um, let's talk about the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, and um, they, they've been. I mean, you know, people are are bored at home right now. They're not mm-hmm. really getting out and going places. Um, so they probably don't have anything better than do than fanboy about whatever their favorite console is. And I know we don't really do that too much. Both of us have owned PlayStations in this last round of consoles, but I know I have a Xbox 360 um, before the, you know, and I loved it. Uh, and I had a PS3 uh, and I've, I've had uh, an Xbox and uh, so the original xbox playstation 2 playstation 1 um i've had a bunch of nintendo nintendo consoles and i have a switch right now so like i i love all the consoles uh that i have but um the i always kind of whenever I, i i see a new console come out i like to look at what technology they're going to be using um, and for all the things that they said about the last consoles, one of the worst things that they did was they put like really old technology into these things. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not even talking about like the chipset. I mean, like the, the, um, the hard drives that they were putting in them were spinning rust and they weren't high capacity. So there was no reason to put a hard drive in it. I mean, like even at the time when this came out, when these came out, and, and I know they're just trying to make a profit. And so wherever they can skimp, they do. But it just it seemed like such a disingenuous thing, especially when it's not really hard. If, if they're just off-the-shelf parts, they're easy to swap out, right? Um, and so, like, one of the best upgrades, and we've talked about this in, in just a few episodes ago, that I did for my PS4 was to drop in a large-capacity SSD. Mm-hmm. Um but the the drawing you know factor of this is they're going to have AMD GPUs they're going to be able to do 8K resolution and all this other blah 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 um, but the big one that they keep both both things keep talking on is they have these SSDs and they have specially made SSDs to be able to work with the with the Xbox Series X and the PS5 you know mm-hmm. um but I just I wonder what you're. Well, I, I doubt that you're really following it. I do. I, I I follow it for like a hobby kind of reason. But you know what? What what are you thinking about that? What are you thinking about the yeah? The I, I've looked at them some. I definitely like to switch to SSDs. I think that was one of the things really holding the other consoles back. One of the things I really like about the Xbox, and I'll see how far it actually goes. But it's got a couple parts that look to be like swappable. You know, like it's got an expansion slot over its internal hard drive, so you can just very easily, boom, pop new memory into it. Now, this is the first I've heard they're like specially made SSD, so that's got me a little worried. You know, I don't want to be in this game of, well, you have to buy our licensed one because it's the only one that actually works. 
I've really wanted these consoles to start going the direction of basically where like steam machines failed because you don't really hear about those as much anymore of these smaller lightweight computers built just for gaming that if you need to swap parts out of you can't because it would be so nice to be able to buy you know xbox series x and it's got default parts and a year later they're like well we've got a new gpu it's in a really accessible card slot i mean if you think about the way a lot of these pci slots work if you orient your board right, you could, they could literally just be plug and play, you know, hold two clamps down, pull it out, put a new one in, as long as they're the same form factor, you know, it would be nice to see it kind of go that direction. Because one of the struggles of all these consoles is consoles don't make money. Um, since like the PS2 era, a console did not bring a profit. In fact, in the real heightened wars between like the Xbox and the PlayStation, they lost money on a console. It was more expensive to make than it was to sell because you would end up going to buy the games. So it'd be nice to see like a basic model that gets released that's in that, those same lines where it's like, look, you wanna go in, get the, the, the base level everything. You still play all the games just fine. We test against that hardware. And, you know, we maybe lose 50 bucks on it, but I mean, you can only play our games on it. So it's not that big a loss for us because you're going to buy a couple games and we'll make up that money. But then, you know, these particular PC parts are also approved. You want to get a better graphics card in there? Well, these are the ones you can put in there. And we, you know, they're part of our dev kit. They automatically get tested against any of the, the dev runs. You know, that's kind of where I want to see this go where these consoles become base platforms and you in the same way in a computer if you want to go in and mucks with it some you can i think the they, there's been some like since the ps3 um people have tried to like install linux i mean that originally you could install it like sony had it so that you could install linux on the ps3 that was one of the functionalities of it um but uh the, the the one of the the problems I see with these devices is that they, you know, they're they're touting using a an SSD. They're going to use SATA SSDs is basically what they're going to do, mm. and they're using like a custom x86 motherboard that's using an a, AMD chip with a AMD GPU. Uh, that's a you know a, a um, graphics onboard graphics type type uh, situation. And it's got some VRAM and everything like that, but the operating system they're putting on it, just it's like a very super lightweight operating system that you can only install the things that they're setting up, and then they just optimize everything, like in the dev kits and everything like that. I'm not sure, just knowing what I know about how hardware works, I would be very interested to see what they could do with like a swappable graphics card being able to turn off the internal GPU and swap that out. But the things that I think that they could really um, have some sort of advantage on is particularly storage. You know, being able to, um, even even if these devices are targeted for like five years as having new development for new software, and you were able to get things like, you know, consumption apps. And we're not talking about productivity stuff here. 
So you're able to get like a device that um, has updates that it gets, it gets games, and you can maybe browse the web uh, and uh, maybe like play some media on it, you know, like watch movies and stuff like that. And it's more powerful than something like, uh, you know, a Raspberry Pi or a DVD player or something like that. It's got some built-in integrated stuff, but you can add storage to it as it comes along. And it comes with a high-speed storage, like 500 gig SSD. Mm-hmm. And, but it's got like three expansion bays and you can just plug in like, uh, you know, any sort of SATA hard drive, whether it's a three and a half inch or a two and a half inch, pro- probably two and a half inches, what it would have to be. But you can plug in any two and a half inch SATA hard drive, whether it's mechanical or SSD, and then that'll just that'll just run. And I think I would be happy with that. I'm, I don't expect it to be anything more like a PC than that. But I mean, it is a PC. And that's what what they should treat these things like. They're just low powered, inexpensive to purchase. Maybe not inexpensive to manufacture because of all the crap they put into it, but inexpensive to purchase PCs. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the that's the way to think about it. That's the only real way you've got a lot of path moving forward. And at least for Xbox Series X, I'm not sure about the PlayStation. It does have an expansion bay for additional graphic. I mean, not graphic, or additional memory. Memory. Now, yeah. who knows if you're going to have to use their special memory? But if you don't have to, yeah. I mean, it, I think it, I read it comes with an internal one terabyte SSD, and you can match it up with something else. I don't know if there's a maximum limit on that expansion slot, but you can definitely put in more memory and kind of a like unplug it from the back, plug it in, don't have to open the case, sort of thing. I I, I want to make it clear that it's when you're saying memory, you mean storage. Yeah, like you can put yeah, another yeah. terabyte of storage. More into storage it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, uh, cause I know what you mean when you say memory, but memory is actually a, a separate thing just for our viewers that our listeners that, you know, maybe like, no, that you can't put more Ram in a, <laughs> in a Xbox series X. That would be great. If you could imagine, Having a computer like that, that has like 32 gigs of RAM, that would be awesome. But I think that would, I mean, what's the difference between that and a PC then? You know, why not have a a 16X um, graphics card slot and be able to update this whenever you want to? Um, You know, you're just running on a slightly older uh, processor and you can just run games on a, you know, RTX level graphics card or whatever you throw in an amd or a, but i don't think that 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 would ever happen so but yeah the the storage expansion is i mean but, but so that their storage expansion or the way they're showing it is like in a little proprietary case so i'm not sure unless you can open that case up and just swap the thing out so either it's a sled that, that, that you can put that in. And that doesn't seem like the sort of way that Xbox and and uh, that Sony and Microsoft have ever gone with these things before. Um, it seems more like something that you're going to have to buy. They're going to sell you like a terabyte of expansion. And yeah, maybe. Throw that in. Yeah. They probably want you to buy their... It's a way... Because that, that, the way that they make money off of stuff when it's it's either the games and the licensing they get for the first party games or the extra materials that you buy 
So the, you know, the VR headsets, the, um, the extra memory, uh, the extra, I'm um, not the, the extra, um, uh, storage, the extra controllers and, and so on and so forth that you buy with it. And it does look like it is a Seagate, uh, device. So it's probably a Seagate SSD. Um, fun times ahead for that. So there is something else that happened recently, um, that's in the gaming world that's kind of interesting. Nintendo Switches in this time of self-isolation have become very scarce for everyone. <laughs> like people oh, yeah. are just buying them up. And then they're selling like they're buying them and then because people want them, they're selling them on eBay for sometimes two or three times the price that you could, could just buy it at retail. Oh yeah. Yeah. And a regular person, you can't beat them because they're using bots to do it. They've got automation set up that's buying them as soon as they come available. You go to these like stock trackers and they'll like, Walmart will get a new set of stock in. It'll be sold within 45 seconds. Yep, a human exactly. can't even go through a cart that quickly. Yep. But these bots, boom, they eat them up. They throw them up on eBay. And from what I understand, they're not selling super great on eBay. People no. just started buying lights. So now they've set up bots and they're starting to try and buy out the lights too. And uh, I'm going to admit, if you're one of the people, very, chances low, you're listening to this podcast, but if you are one of these people, you're going to lose so much money. Like, I know you're making like a, a 100% return on everyone you sell, but like my wife was dead set on the Switch. She, that's what she wanted. We got her a little stimulus money. She's like, I'm going to go buy it now. Couldn't find one. She animately refused to pay even the small markups, even the markups that were just 50 or $100 more, wouldn't touch them. And we just waited until a light was available in store, and she bought one there. Like, I obviously don't know the whole numbers for this weird bootleg industry, but I can't imagine you're selling them out. You know, someone is going to get the short straw. And they're going to be just like with the people that bought like a million fidget spinners to resell online. You're you're going to have a bunch of switches and no one's going to want to pay full price off of eBay for the switch when they can go to a regular store and pay full price. So you're going to have to sell it for a little bit less and you're going to start losing money. You're, pro you're probably going to be one of those people who after, after, after it comes back out, the best you're going to be able to do is I've got a new inbox e uh, switch on eBay and I am going to be able to, you know, sell it for retail cost. Yeah. I'll tell you, the people, though, that I think are really making out that are being a little smart about it are the people selling the broken switches. Because I went and checked those. Because you used to be able to get, like, a broken switch for, like, almost nothing, like 40, 50 bucks. But now those broken switches are, like, 150. And I did consider that. It's like I could buy two broken switches and put a working switch together. Yeah, a lot of these ones with broken ones will kind of tell you what's what's there, and it's not a hard repair to do. So I bet those people are getting some some return, yeah. like the refurbishers. Yeah. But the people buying them wholesale and trying to resell them, I I don't know if that's going to go anywhere for you because Nintendo has said wholesale, they're going to they're buying them stock. retail. They're well, buying yeah, them retail. I mean, they're buying yeah. retail, but they're using kind of wholesale practice. I'm going to buy your whole inventory right now. I got this bot to do it sort of thing. But yeah, these people buying them just directly from the stores, I don't think you're going to make your money back because Nintendo's already said they're going to increase 
how many they're making. It was not a huge increase, like 10%. But all you, every time we go to the store, we still see one or two lights in stock. Occasionally, we'll see a regular one in stock. There's people still able to go get them from their local stores because yep. you can't buy out the local store online. Yep. So the only people you're really putting the, you know, the screws on are maybe people that just aren't near stores or maybe like super lockdown states like New York. But I mean, I'm sure some people have turned to profit. People who maybe started and got in, but the people that are still doing it a month after it kind of started going out of stock, I can't imagine they're not just doubling down on, no, we have to keep them scarce because I have to be able to sell them. You know, it's like the person that keeps buying the stock as it starts tanking. You know, maybe you get lucky, but probably not. Up, but probably not. Yeah, when, when it's tanking like that, like, you know, if it's got a dip, that's a good time to buy. But if it's tanking, mm. that's a time to get out, right? Um, yeah, don't invest in oil right now. You know, right. The, pers- the person saying, well, I'm going to buy all these barrels of oil at this super low price and then store them and have to pay the storage fees. Well, Hopefully, everyone gets out of lockdown soon and people start buying oil again. But if not, you're just paying a whole bunch of storage fees on something that's price might not escalate immediately. The stuff that you have, if it's whether it's processed or not, oil only lasts so long before it starts because it is a, you know, it's it's made from natural. Yeah. Yeah, Thing, I mean, so. properly stored, it does last a long time, but there are so yeah. many regulations on storing it. That's why people are selling it. Yeah. It is costing them hand over fist to just keep it sitting in a warehouse. But it's still, know. like, it still doesn't, like, it, uh, it, once it's processed and everything, like, you, you turn it into gasoline, it only lasts for so many months before it starts losing some of its potency. You have to use it with, uh, or you have to add fuel additives to it and things like that. Like it doesn't, it, it, you can't like take like gasoline from 1990 that's just been sitting in a bucket somewhere and throw it in your car and expect it to work like, like a gasoline that you go to the gas station and buy. Yeah, but I, I don't think you can, like the, the stock prices, the trading hasn't dropped out of gasoline, it's dropped out of crude oil. And that lasts for like 50 years before it, it turns la- problems. It, it, la- it lasts in its raw form, but it still starts yeah. to lose its potency. That's why you need to get it out, get it processed, and then get it shipped off to someplace. You can still make products from it, but there, the there's like it's like getting um, trying to think of a good analogy of something else. Um, so like like. Um, like yeast, you know, like if you get, when you get like a batch of yeast and you, you've gotten it and it's good and the colony's good, the colony's live and everything like that, you can reuse that. But if you just let that set in a bucket for a while, um, even though it'll last for a while and you've got like stuff and it may go dormant and everything like that, some of that stuff's going to die. And the longer you let it set, the more of it dies, the less of it you have to actually have like a, like an active colony, right? Oil, it's not a one-to-one comparison, but it kind of works similarly um, to where, like, the longer you let it sit, the the less. I mean, crude crude oil, unprocessed oil, uh, once it's out of the ground, the longer you let it sit, the less potent it is. Basically, is what I'm saying. So, like, you want you want to get that stuff processed and to market faster, 
Um, and the longer you, the, the, whether the stock's good or not, if you're buying up oil, you know, for like, the, the stock market has less to do with you buying up like a perish, uh, and ultimately in some capacity, perishable good, you probably, I mean, like you said, it, it'll last for 50 years where you've got usable things that you can get out of it. Like you can get petroleum jelly and things like that out of it to, to be able to reuse. So th there's some way that you can reuse it. You can get greases and, and things of that nature, but eventually that stuff starts to break down. Right. And the soon, the, the further you get away from it, the, 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 the fewer ways that you can process it to get something out of it. Right. And yeah, maybe I'll, I might have to re-review that. I took some environmental classes that my knowledge contradicts what's being said, but maybe I'm, I'm incorrect on that. Definitely processed oil degrades. And really, if, if, unless you're in like perfect storage conditions, it degrades fairly quickly, um, which is why crude oil tanks so fast. It's because they don't want to process it because they don't have a place to sell it. And if you know, quarantine lasts more than a couple months. I mean, I think even in like refineries, the, the finished product only lasts a few months. But I was under the assumption that crude oil, when stored properly, like in like actual properly, like not what you would get in the warehouse for a stock seller, but someone that's saving it for bulk is like your container goes bad first. Like your metal will go bad before the oil does. Hey, maybe um, I'm wrong, but that like th this is that's the way I understood it to be, and I could be wrong. I mean, I, look, I'm not an expert in that. That's not yeah, and I'm not yeah. either. There's there's on there, but there's definitely the idea of don't jump on a sinking ship. Yeah. The, if if the if you were trying to say I'm underwater because I have so many switches and I can't sell them all or people aren't people won't buy my 800 dollars because that's another thing I've seen is the prices on eBay are going up, which indicates to me that's more people are like, well, okay, I'm selling them slower, so to make my money back, I need to charge even higher. Because you've got some people racing to the top on how expensive they can get on some of these things. And I'm not convinced they're selling them at a super fast rate. Because if you could, at say 600, there's enough crazy people. Every time you put one up, they buy it at 600. You generally don't try and bump it up to 800 and let people go to your competitor. You just, you set your bot up and you just keep buying them at 600 and let it roll in. You only start doing this price climb thing especially when you know it's still a big range there's some smaller people who are like look i got one switch i you know i bought it as a gift for myself but i'd rather sell it and go buy this other cool thing their prices aren't jumping up the person that's just got one or two to sell or they say you know you go to them they have three in stock their prices aren't super high it's these people you go to and there's there's no stock limit on them nothing's stopping you from putting i want 80 switches you know so I think some people have made some bad decisions there. Agree. I think some people have made some really bad decisions when it comes to that stuff. Um, I wonder, I, I really do wonder how that is going to end up reflecting on those people. Like, I wonder if it's going to bankrupt some people when it comes to, to like what they're doing. Cause a lot of people, you know, they, they their business basically is to, um, like buy stuff and then resell it on like eBay. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder, I wonder if that's going to be, there's going to be some, I mean, it probably will. I, I can't, I never stopped thinking about that poor guy 
he you can see him on like reddit posts and stuff um it was just one of those like viral things that happened when someone was asking for advice and right near the end of when fidget spinners were cool he bought a bajillion fidget spinners i mean i i don't remember the exact number but i feel like it was something like a million like he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy bulk fidget spinners and then you know they weren't cool anymore so nobody was buying it and now he had a warehouse full of fidget spinners like he bought enough he needed like storage space and then he didn't know what to do like be careful jumping on trends you know there's something to be said about there's a lot of people on amazon that are like that that uh they try and guess what the cool new five dollar kitchen toy is going to be you know this cool new egg cracker or something and they buy a bunch from China and they sell them and, and they make a profit. But don't don't go into debt to do it. Nothing's ever a sure thing. There's plenty of people that when Bitcoins were $22,000 said, screw my 401k, they're saying, okay. they're, they're saying yeah. Bitcoin will be 40k in a year. Uh, and then they weren't. They weren't. And it, it caused a, a terrible bunch of problems across the board. So yeah, I mean, just don't that probably not a good time to buy a switch if you're planning on reselling it. Yeah. Um, you know, but I mean, there, there may be somebody out there who's like, well, you know, like I resell them for $50 more than what they were. And people are buying them up. Like, you know, oh, yeah. Well, here's my thing. If you're selling for 50 bucks more than they were worth, that's probably a sound business plan. 50 bucks extra. Yeah. You're gonna have to sell a lot of them, but at worst case, if you got to sell it back, you're only banking on $50 profit. So how far in the hole are you really getting? It's these people buying them and expecting to sell them for double their price. That I think they're the ones going to get the rudest awakening. Not that I want to necessarily change topics, but I um, I, I I really want to talk about the board game thing before before we cool. get done. Go for it. Um, so uh, have you have you played any board games with anybody like online since uh, being locked down or anything like that? I have not, but I've been thinking about it. I've been watching a group of people that uh, generally stream together and they do it in person, have been streaming through, I think it's 3D Tabletop, one of these like tabletop simulators, and they've been having a lot of fun with it. So I've I've done a couple things. I mean, like, well, you, you technically have played D&D. Yeah, remotely. I have played D&D. Yeah. I was thinking of like more board games, but yeah, and that works pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, there's several ways to do that. And we've talked about that, you know, like you can play like with a camera on a board and then just have everybody in a, you know, like a WebEx or, uh, I, I wouldn't say a zoom, but a Skype call or hangouts or something. And then, you know, you play, or, um, you can use a, a couple of different things, but, um, one of the things that I've kind of looked at is um you know like so there you know there's apps that have things that, that you can do like uh, online services so like takaido uh for instance um that's a board game that i know we've all played and enjoyed and um we got together with some friends got together on like a hangouts call talk play and everything like that started playing we played um a, a game of uh dragonwood together you know, each of us had like a, a version of the board game, played it together. 
that was kind of janky, but it worked. But then we got him play, started playing Takedo, and while we're all sitting around talking and having a good time, I mean, it's a virtual experience. So that was great. That's like more what people kind of think about, you know, like when they think about like video games being turned into like a thing. But then there's stuff like virtual tabletops, just like you're talking about, mm. that are great. Um, and there's also stuff like boardgamearena.com, which lets you sign up and you can play, like generally it's free and you can play, you know, these board games on a virtual da- uh, tabletop um, that, and, and you can play it like, on consoles and things like that play it on any web browser it's um kind of a neat thing so like people are actually finding ways to do this and it this is something that i see expanding like right now if you're able to take advantage of this or create something to allow people to play as we go forward i don't see us getting back in a place where we're having like big tournaments and things like that, that you're able to just to go, like you may get a board game. You may have some friends come over if you're fairly positive, they're not sick, but in the, you know, at least for like the next like three or four years, we're probably not going or people should, especially if they're in some way immunocompromised, you know, have asthma or have other things that may cause them to, have issues this is the way that you can still have some of those experiences and i see this being a big market for being able to do some something that's really fun and nice and i was uh, i was thinking about um setting one of these up i know one of the people that we work with um already plays a lot on uh, board game arena um so and we play virtually through fantasy grounds every every week and everything for D and then we've been doing our webex based um dnd setup so mm-hmm. i think that's probably the future of you know being able to do some of have some of these same experiences but you're you're not really able to be together you know what yeah. i'm saying yeah i'm definitely going to watch some people because i think there's a couple uh good let's plays out there people who are playing things like Dungeons and dragons on tabletop simulator because there's tons of free like little fan made assets you can get and on one level like we use fantasy ground and i think that's that's great because it does manage some of the rules for you on the other hand this gives you a lot of freedom of like people still move their tokens around by clicking in dragon and you know it's all 3d and i think even tabletop simulator for the people that have vr headsets it's the same version of it there's not like a separate vr one it's just if you're in vr you just pop up in vr and you can actually walk around and like pick things up and and all that good stuff yeah i've i tried tabletop simulator when it was very young and i haven't done anything with it since then so maybe create like a couple different accounts like we did between roll 20 and fantasy grounds Mm. uh you know that was like have you thought about this how long we've been playing online D and D. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's been quite a while. I mean, it's, and it's been so positive that, you know, I'm not sure I, I want to take the plunge yet, but I've been considering putting together a game to DM in some sort of online capacity. I would definitely play. I, I, I Oh yeah. Been able Invitations to... would definitely go out to everyone that we could be currently play with. And if we fell short, I might look for other people, but that's actually one of the motivations. I really like DMing. And I know you like playing, and I feel like you don't get a lot of chance to play, and I don't get a lot of chance to DM. 
So we could definitely we could definitely also swap it around where you you're the one who DMs next time um, next next adventure for our group. Let's talk yeah. about that. I think I think that this isn't the place to talk about it, but yeah, yeah. I, I think for from like a technology standpoint and like talking about it being you know, like on the podcast here, we should definitely evaluate a bunch of these different ones and then just kind of discuss what are the pros and cons of the different ones mm-hmm. um, that that we have out there. I think that's a future episode, probably for the second half of the season. Um, yeah. We can do yeah, that. Yeah, let's do that. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about? Uh, about anything? No, I'm good. All right. Well, then, thank you so much for listening. This has been Season 3, Episode 9 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. I know you probably know that because you listened from the very beginning all the way to the end, but just in case you didn't, I'd like to remind you. Uh, otherwise, uh, we hope all of you are staying safe. We really thank all the people that are supporting us during this time. Um, just want to put that out there that we haven't forgotten that there's all the, the 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 corporations, eh, maybe, but all the people that are working in the warehouses, delivering the groceries, you know, globally, whatever you're doing to support the people in, in around, that you guys are awesome. You're heroes. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing, and hopefully you'll stay safe until next week when we can talk to you again. Have a good one.